So these handful of people are all um, morons. They don't have arguments. One of the people I've encountered on YouTube is Michael Shermer. He's considered to be a skeptic. He's the editor of a skeptics magazine of some kind. And I saw a few of his discussions and interviews, and it became pretty obvious to me that he didn't really understand a lot of the things that he was passing judgment on. And I, I remember just thinking how strange it was. Like some of the things he would say would be like, well, you know, um, I talked to the people in them and they said this and, and this expert said that. And so he doesn't understand it well enough to come to his own conclusion that's independent of these other people. So he's not really being skeptical. That's my conclusion about what I'm seeing there. He's just getting a consensus opinion and relaying the consensus opinion. That's not skeptical. Skeptical is, let's look at the sides of this that are the weakest, you know, the things that don't quite make sense, the outlier data, if there is any, and let's see if we can get to the uh, to the bottom of what this is. Uh, is there any even any empirical evidence? Sometimes there isn't, you know, as we see in climatology and meteorology, fields that are deeply affected by water. Experimentation is not part of the process. It's not part of the deal in terms of how they work out their understanding of cause and effect. They're not trying to, here's a good way of putting it. They're not trying to um, be reproducible from the bottom up, let's say starting from the principles of physics. They're not trying to make a link uh, between those two. They have their own model and they, they stay within themselves and they, they, they discuss it. And it has these certain uh, uh, analogies or assumptions about it, about how air moves. And one of those is convection. Another one of those is what they call dry layer capping. Another one of those is called latent heat of condensation. And all of these depend on some kind of magic property of water that doesn't actually exist. I'm not going to discuss that now because that's a bottomless pit in and of itself. But yeah, they depend on principles that are demonstrably non-existent. Uh, you know, like like a, a principle that depends on the belief that, that the boiling point of H2O was lower in the atmosphere than it is in a laboratory. It's you know kind of like how ghosts, ghosts are afraid of laboratories. You know, that's kind of the argument people come up with as to why uh, scientists can't find uh, evidence of ghosts empirically. Uh, and that's the same thing we get dealing with um, certain beliefs. Like for example, the belief that the boiling point of water can somehow change, become much lower, and therefore explain why clear, moist air, which we are almost all surrounded by, all, you know, clear, moist air, like we see here, as to the composition of this air in terms of its water. Is it because it's clear gaseous? Now, when we all are little kids, that's what we assume, right? It disappeared, it turned to gas. Now, we don't really think much farther than that because we're we're little kids. In reality, it's impossible for H2O to become gaseous at such incredibly low temperatures, not even close to its boiling point, right? Now, that doesn't mean it isn't capable of forming some extremely small nano droplets, and it is capable of that. And there's actually reasons why it's capable of that. One of those reasons is its high surface tension. They didn't recognize that when H2O molecules form uh, hydrogen bonds, that they bring electrical gradients into each other's sphere of influence that lowers the polarity they didn't recognize they didn't realize that this was 
something that canceled out an elliptical gradient and brought made these molecules made the the electrons within the going around the nuclei a little bit closer to being circular you know not fully circular yet because it takes four but a little bit closer to being circular and the more circular you are the less polar is the h2o molecule and so when they come together and they form hydrogen bonds and if, and if they form four they're they've completely become non-polar the elect the electrons are going on a perfect circle because you have completely balanced electromagnetic relationship to the nuclei. That's what matters. That's what ma matters. It's not the shape of the molecule that matters. It's, a, it's the shape of the electrical gradients relative to the nuclei, which is partly determined by the shape of the molecule, but that's also, and here's the big part, also determined by other molecules in their vicinity, right? The other ones with which they're sharing hydrogen bonds. When that happens, they have no polarity. Now that's why water when it's densest is when it is loosest. That's the reason. Now, there's other complexities involved there. Energy, that, that nature that I just described, that inverse nature of, of connectedness to, to strength of connectedness, think about that. An inverse relationship between connectedness and strength of connectedness. In other words, the more connected they are, the less is the strength. So that relationship sets up different situational factors. And one of those situational factors that comes out of that is that in the liquid phase, H2O has a very high heat capacity because that electromagnetic relationship acts like a rubber band. Think about that, it acts like a rubber band. When the molecules come together, they bounce. And then when they go out like this, their polarity increases. Now I'm oversimplifying it because each H2O molecule actually has four, right? I'm just making, I'm just for, I'm using my fists here just to, just to understand the nature of the motion that there's something inverse and elastic about it. Can you see that? Zero force pulling him right here, right? Now, if they do, if there's energy on it though, and they bounce, what's gonna happen? The force is gonna return. So if you can imagine the force filling it in there. So it acts like a rubber band. Think about that, it acts like a rubber band. And that's what we mean when we say that hydrogen bonds are elastic. It has everything to do with the fact that H2O molecules are a solvent for their own polarity and that minimizing connectedness will release more of that polarity because it'll reduce the amount that they're able to, what was the word, uh, dissolve their own polarity. I suppose I should uh, talk about some of the um, science trolls that I encounter online, mostly in psi physics. Um, but there's, these are a number of people who like to respond with inanities to my posts. In other words, they don't really ever have anything substantive to add to the discussion. You, you can tell by uh, talking to them, they have very strong emotions though about what, they're, what they believe, what they believe about science in general. And there's kind of a big um, divide though between what they believe about science and the and the fact that they themselves are not shall we say you know well endowed when it comes to understanding things like physics they don't really know how to even make an argument and they don't really want to they want to tell you that they know that that science is correct and they want you to respect that in the same sense that um if you went into a, a church of some kind you said something that was off off the beaten path of what they tend to believe, they're going to correct you, right? You know, it's that's it's that same thing. But there was no, there's no, you know, scientific argument behind it. And there, but that's I know it sounds funny, but that's actually pretty normal. I mean that 
you know, there's there's what people think happens and then there's what really happens. And very often people are just, it. People humans are very conversational. Let's put it that way. We're very conversational. We like to generally go along with the flow and we kind of have to in a lot of ways too. Now, this is, this shouldn't be part of science. In fact, the, one of the purposes of scientific methods is to keep this from happening, right? We don't want this to happen, but we know it does. And that is that people grow, and we know it's also extremely influential. People have emotional attachments to what they believe that don't necessarily have anything to do with truth. And it gets even worse when you, when you get the large group dynamics involved in terms of what's been believed over long periods of time. That'll be their argument sometimes. This has been known since, and they'll, you know, name a date somewhere in the past and they'll, you know, as if, as if the amount of time that it's been known somehow made it, um, the fact that it survived this far, you know, suggests that it must be right. You know, whereas the other side of the coin is the fact that you're making such a weak argument suggests that it might be wrong. You know, if you're, if you're resorting to that kind of argument, well, you know, maybe there's a problem here, you know, consider that. And, and that's the way they think, okay? And it's good for me to experience that because I get a sense of what normal people think because I don't think normal. I'm not normal. I'm literally like 200 years ahead of everybody else because I made some discoveries that let me advance, figured out what's going on with water. Therefore, I, I get things that other people don't. I'm so far ahead. I don't know how to put it. You know, I don't. It, it, the only way I can describe it is I'm 200 years ahead of everybody else, which is to some degree admitting defeat, by the way, because I'm essentially saying I'm going to die before this ever achieves any kind of popular or even reasonable amount of appeal to humans in general. Because right now, no, everyone wants to go along with these people who keep things so vague that no one really knows what they're saying. And that's that's kind of what a kind of what a meteorologist's job is, you know. Be careful not to be too specific. I think they they train them that way. You know, it doesn't matter a lot to me. I kind of um, at one time I had more ambition to make this kind of a, a, an academic thing, right? And, and it really bothered me that academia was having such a hard time even comprehending that there was an issue here I was addressing. You know, it's like they, they couldn't even figure that out. And so now I, and, and so I've gotten beyond that and now I'm off on doing to other things, but I still find it entertaining. People who don't have answers, who can't have answers, who are completely confused, but will never ever admit they're completely confused. It's kind of comical. It's kind of ironic. Humans think they understand something when they really just believe it. We don't have the ability to see that in ourselves. That's maybe the most fundamental flaw that we have. Now, of course, saying that's a flaw might be wrong. It might be that making a mistake on that might be something that allows us to survive within the context of our society. So these handful of people are all um, morons. They don't have arguments. They never have arguments. They don't. They, they have uh, strong opinions, and um, they do not. And here's kind of a kind of a a clue as to what's really going on here. They do not bring up specifics of meteorology's theory on storms. Now you say, why well, Why don't they? You know, they, wouldn't we expect them to? After all, I'm bringing up the specifics on my theory and they're, 
and they're saying that I'm an idiot, you think they make an argument of some kind. And here's, here's what I think. I think that they're at least smart enough to go out there and see that what's available to describe meteorology's current theory on storms is so vague and so completely based on conjecture and allegory, metaphor, and, and therefore nothing that's actually substantive. And it's literally not substantive in that these people won't really actually, meteorologists do experiments. And that's something that they don't like the public asking about that, but it's actually a, a situational truth. They don't do experiments especially not in terms of their fundamental theory on cause and effect in storms and in atmospheric flow. Why is meteorology like that? That's like a different subject. And I've discussed that previously. And that's actually kind of, a, I'll, I'll just say it, it's a marketing thing, but I won't get into it now. Now, I, I want to get back to talking about these people, though. Now, they, they don't, you know, these, these this handful of people that are on um, psi uh, physics, they don't have the slightest idea about any of this stuff. You know, they don't, they don't understand it. <laughs> they can't really make sense of it and they, and they see my theories and it's there all they can do is go wow this guy's completely different than anything else is out there and then they go well let's see what we can do to oppose him and they go out look and they run into what i just described and they go oh shit <laughs> and so they won't actually do any of those arguments they won't actually um and they won't actually take a stance on meteorology's notion of, of storms. And here's the thing, meteorology won't take a stance on meteorology's version of storms, or not least in, in any kind of a public setting. They, they'll only point you to it when they want to get you off their trail, right? They'll say, oh, go look at that literature. It's just a way of getting rid of you. And, and that's the reality. Why do they not get it? Well, it, it, that's almost not important. I'll just say this though, to not get it is pretty much normal. And that's one thing I kind of want to emphasize about these people is they are very much representative of most of the public. It's just normal to not get that, to not get that when people don't really have an argument that it indicates there's something missing. And so that inability means that um, they're kind of like stuck in their own little reality. They're not going to be able to advance to a better understanding of how the atmosphere actually functions, you know, how it actually works, which has little to do with what our current model says it has everything to do with. So this is James McGinn, Solving Tornadoes. Until the next time. <music>